This is part two of a three-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. I mean, if you think about it, if you have to pay for the shed, you have to buy the materials for the shed, Mm -hmm. then you had to go get a worky job Mm -hmm. to pay for those materials. So instead of doing that, worky job then you went and got the materials instead of getting the materials from like the Home Depot or a lumber store or whatever you went on to the property where you live um, with a chainsaw and um, you know moved moved trees popped in and and we have too many trees and uh, legitimately too many and we got to get rid of them. We got to get them out of there because we've got gardens to put in those places and stuff. We've got other plans. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of places where it's like if we don't start thinning those trees, those trees are going. Some, a lot of them, if not all of them, are going to die because yeah. they're competing with each other. But <clears throat> like, let's say you're going to build a shed of this size, and you decided to go with metal roof. 1,500 square feet of metal roof. Um, do you have an idea what that's going to cost? No. Because all of the work that you've done in the past has been like, you show up to the site to build, and somebody else bought the materials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I had designed one shed and priced it out, but I didn't write that check. I think over it ended up being several hundred dollars just for the metal, metal itself. Um yeah, and then, you know, the other thing, expenses aside, like, when the conventional shed or garage has run its life, it's this toxic thing that when you demo, you have to, you know, pay to have it put into a landfill. Right. Um, and it's like, man, any of these, you know, the posts that were rotten that we removed when we demoed the, you know, the old berm shed... Um, you know, the stuff that was really rotten went into a pile to turn into hugoculture. The stuff that was kind of rotten went into a pile to become next year's firewood. And the stuff that was fine, we just reused. How, what percentage of the wood, including the roof poles, uh, would you say were fine? The roof poles, maybe half. The posts, we ended up, we ended up removing most of the posts. Um... There might be one that we didn't pull out. Um, and then the cross timbers? Like the the framing pieces? Yeah. Well, the the design changed, and none of those old ones fit, so those all went into the... Um, they went into a different pile to either become firewood or to be used for a different a different piece. Like um, the shoulders. Yeah, we used some of them for shoulders. A lot of them were too small. A lot of them were too small, and um, a lot of them had been exposed to a lot of weather, um, and a lot of they they all had like crazy weird nails through them that caused splitting <laughs> in weird ways. And um, but then even the retaining wall pieces, we we ended up using. 
reusing most, like 75% of the retaining wall pieces, mm-hmm. you know, those cells that did collapse, mm-hmm. where we had to rebuild the retaining wall. Right. Most of those were totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I would say that the reason for the broom shed is when you start kind of trying to price out even just the roofing material, it it becomes really discouraging really fast. I mean, granted, once you've bought it all for just a shed, you know, it's, it's like not too expensive. But um, we've been able to get a lot of used billboard material for free. Um, so they they when a billboard is all done, they take it down and they um, they're just going to throw it in the garbage. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to intercept a lot of that before it goes to the dump. And uh, we've we've been using that, which is it's it's very stable. I mean, it's designed to be UV stable, um, but uh, uh, I think that because like when we look at polyethylene, polyethylene is not UV stable, um, and this is what um, uh, Mike Ayler would use in his original structures. Although he ended up moving on to EPDM, but the polyethylene um, is supposed to last 500 years provided that it doesn't get sun on it. And so it's cold tolerant, but it is not sun tolerant. So as long as it's protected from the sun, then it should last 500 years. The billboard material came in many different grades. Um, There's kind of a woven billboard material, which um, is more like water resistant, but not waterproof. But uh, if you do multiple layers of it, I think you're close enough to waterproof. Um, <clears throat> and uh, but there's also billboard material where it's like right up there with EPDM. You Some know, of that stuff is so thick. Yeah, it's like a thick rubber almost. Yeah, it's like a pond liner. Exactly. Type material. EPDM being pond liner. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, the thing I think about is is it's kind of like. Um, which is where the $50 and up underground house book from Ayler comes from, is that if you can follow some simple principles, then you kind of get to have this roof that's almost free. Not absolutely free, but incredibly cheap. And so um, when you start thinking about the designs and things like that, the idea of being able to build something out of dominantly materials found on land... You don't have to do a lot of modifications like the like the um, the retaining wall wood and the roof poles. We didn't peel any of those. Those are all unpeeled. And then for the um, the posts and the uh, timber framing, we did peel those. I think everything would last a lot longer if it was peeled, but sure. Sure, it would. I think I agree with you. I think it would last longer if it was peeled. Um, and uh, um, but um, uh, it's a it's a fair amount of work to peel, mm-hmm. um, unless of course you're doing it in early spring. It then it peels super fast and easy. So part of it could be that it's like, oh well, we want to build a berm shed or we want to build a wafati, mm-hmm. and so we're going to go and get a whole bunch of wood in the early spring and make uh, and peel it all up and make you know wood mountain. For uh, to be used later, um, not a not a bad idea. But the the bottom line is is that um, you start looking at something where it's like I've got this excess of trees, I've got way too many trees, and I've got dirt, 
and we've got this this billboard material for free. It kind of seems like as a general design, it, the the berm shed is good. And plus, the other thing is is that we can have this shed. And on the other side, it looks like a berm, which I kind of feel like for a lot of rural communities, if you're going to be doing stuff in an area that is visible from the road, you attract a kind of attention you don't want to attract. And so on the other hand, if it's a, if it's got, if it looks like a berm and nothing ever changes, you don't attract that attention. And so I kind of felt like we had enough happen when like where the berm shed is right now when it wasn't there at all we had enough shitty stuff happen from people on the road and then of course we've got all the stories that we've heard from not only Joel Salatin but um dozens of other people where somebody was driving by on the road and reported them for something and then they got all kinds of grief we never got to the point that we got that kind of grief um but we did get Bizarre crap. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I remember one time, uh, we were harvesting a pig and, um, and we were doing it in front of the shop. And, um, the Department of Fish and Game guy just stopped on the road and just sat there for five minutes. We just continued on, kind of feeling like, we're not doing this to entertain you, motherfucker. Get the, get the fuck out of here, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and then he, he kind of sat in his air conditioned cab and eventually rolled down his window with his little electronic, I'm going to roll that far window down with my button here. Mm-hmm. And he yells out, what kind of animal is that? It's a pig. <laughs> and then the window goes back up. And then he sat there for another five minutes staring. And I just kind of felt like, you know, I, I don't want to play this game, but we've had other, we've had other things happen. So the bottom line is, is that I kind of feel like the berm shed makes it so that when we do interesting things, and we've done some interesting things <laughs> that we just don't get the attention of people that are like, I've, I want to fuck up your shit and I need just enough. I need, uh, I, I need it to be a question. Like, I don't know what that is. So I'm going to call it a nuclear weapon when I call it in. And then if it's not a nuclear weapon, that'll get sorted out later. You know, and so it's it's kind of like um, I just don't want to play the game, and the berm shed does that for us, and the berms we've got just regular old berms. Well, and then the other thing about berms that's amazing is they they harvest water. You know, oh yeah, it's like so cool to see the vegetation that's growing at the bottom of of some of the berms that are up on the lab. Right. Right. So in an area that would probably be too dry for a lot of things, suddenly all these things are just growing like crazy that are getting tons of water. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So cost and natural materials. I mean, um, Willow Bank is built with metal roof and with um, lumber. Some of the lumber we cut here and some of it we bought. And uh, so we built the whole thing in two days, so real fast. Um, but yeah, we've probably got fifteen hundred dollars in purchased materials into Willow Bank. Um, 
building a shed of this magnitude could be costly. But I kind of feel like this design is going to make it so that a lot of people who would rather put their time in on being a woodsman rather than, you know, whatever their worky job might be, um, whether so whether it's a hobby thing or whether it's something where it's like I'm I'm they're 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 living as a true homesteader. I feel like this design really opens a lot of doors for a lot of people, yeah. and I think that it's it's fair to say at this point that the design is a success. That this is this is a successful structure. I feel twenty times more confident in what we have now than what we had a few years ago. Um. And I'm I'm proud to have this, and I think I think it's a great. I feel like it's a great design, and I kind of feel like I've never seen anything like it before. Mm-hmm. So I think we have invented something. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about just like the cost and expenses and and labor that goes into something like this, um, we haven't really talked about how much time it takes. To be to do the woodsmaning uh, aspect of it, you know, what is what? How, how much? How long does it take to go out and cut down these trees and peel them and and bring them to the site? And that is a significant amount of time, but it's really enjoyable work. I I certainly enjoyed it. Um, and it we we spent a lot of time gathering materials, but not as much time as I thought it would be. I think another thing, it's like let's go back to the fifteen days thing for just a sec. Because I want to talk about, we, we picked out four people, and uh, and they're now experienced at this. But let's let's work in another factor here. If we brought in four people where where round wood timber framing, I don't know if there's anybody in the United States that's like this, but let's say there's four people where round wood timber framing is their job. And they've been, and this team of four has been working together for seven years. And they get, they get paid by the structure. And so they have optimized their systems and, and they crank. So, for our dream team here, those four people, 15 days. Four people, that's this team that's been working together for seven years and they get paid by the job. Not, you know, okay. How many days does it take them to build the same structure? I I could say any number of days. <laughs> you could say any number. <laughs> Dream I'm, team. Because one day. I I kind of think I kind of think that our team, for everything we do in the boot camp, we do not do because those guys are going to work at a breakneck pace. Mm-hmm. They're going to be oh, yeah. they're 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 going to be working at a pace because they're like if if we can build 18 of these in a month, we're going to get paid a lot. We're going to get paid 18 times more than if we build one in a month. Right. Well, I think my answer would be you'd probably you'd have uh, there'd be two teams of two doing the framing, and they would probably frame. A cell and a half per day, and then every couple days, one of the teams would um, would take off and uh, and put the roofing poles and the retaining wall pieces into the cells that were already framed, and they could probably do that for like six cells in a single day, 
And so you could probably you could conceivably do this all in like a week and a day. Okay. I was I was thinking that this dream team and they're cranking like they're let's say they've built this exact same broom shed seven times before. Mm-hmm. And um and they've already lined up another job for the following week. I'm going to guess that they could get it done in 5 days. Cool. And and that's just a guess. Mhm. And um, but I I guess what I'm trying to say is is that it's a fun thought experiment. Sure. <laughs> I, I well the point I'm trying to make is is that f- on the in the boot camp people are learning a lot of stuff, and at the same time, it's not that kind of pressure to perform. Right. We don't get paid by the berm shed. <laughs> so I I think I think the I think that uh, being in the boot camp is a wonderful experience, and and people can't hear you nodding, so you got to. Yes, it's a yes. wonderful experience. It's <laughs> been wonderful for me. It's 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 nice. It's not like perform, damn it, or else. Mm-hmm. It's um and and I but I also kind of feel like a lot of those guys. It's like okay, I got to make my truck payment. I got to make my mortgage payment. I've got you know kids and college and whatever else. I got to work harder. I got to make more money. And um, and so they've gotten to the point where they are um, to try and and you know improve their coin situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, and the here it's more like um, it's more about the experience. I, th- I think people do work hard, but you know if they're if they are shoveling and they're feeling tired, they rest. You know, it's it's not like uh, no one yells at them and says fucking slacker. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that. Right. Yeah. All right. The materials costs. We do have one roll of what I used to call Visqueen, but it's polyethylene six mil, and uh, it's the roll is a hundred feet long and twenty feet wide, mm-hmm. um, and it costs a hundred bucks for that roll, and it is sandwiched between because uh, when you when you took the uh, the old berm shed out, you rescued the um, uh, the, the billboard material as best you could, mm-hmm. and it's a little tattered. Mm-hmm. Not bad, but not great. Some of it was fine, and some of it was shit. So it went down as the as the layer on the wood, mm-hmm. um, and then the uh, polyethylene went on top of that, mm-hmm. and then a new layer of billboard material went on top of that. Yes. Yeah. And so um, we have a definite layer, but I think that all the billboard material on this one is all that kind of woven stuff. Yes. Yeah. Most of it, yeah. So um, the polyethylene acts as a definite um, wa- uh, waterproof layer, although it's possible that a piece of wood or something pokes through, mm-hmm. and it's like, damn. And then we say, well, it is it is just a shed. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, one roll of uh, the plastic. Um, the free used billboard material, rebar. We used half inch rebar and we would cut it into pieces and then um, uh, drive those pieces in as pins mm-hmm. here and there. But we could have probably replaced all the rebar with dowels. Um, but we probably wouldn't have gone with half inch dowels. We probably would have gone with one inch dowels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could have made our own dowels. Yep. Um, 
So I think when we were kind of calculating the rebar, we ended up with something where it was like... $68.22. And you did that calculation yesterday, so it's still fresh in your head. Yep. Okay. Well, it's also written down right here. Oh, okay. All in right. That book. Cheating. <laughs> Sweet. Baling wire. We used a little bit of baling wire here and there to kind of help hold poles together in place while, you know, until the dirt got put on and right. and uh, variety of different things. It's just to pin it in place temporarily. I mean, I suppose we could go back and and take the baling wire out if we wanted to, but uh, it's not really hurting anything where yeah, it is. it's like 10 bucks. It's not like we're like going to, you know, oh, save all that baling wire. We're going to use it again. Right. Yeah, no, it's just, just, just leave it. We reused a lot of the baling wire as well from the... From the rebuild? Yeah. From the previous build? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Ron loves timberlock screws, and so there were quite a few of those that were used uh, here and there. Yeah, and I think that, you know, like those, like some days we wouldn't break them out at all, and then other days it's like, man, I just really want that to, to like, be tight. I need to know that it is yeah. not going to move yeah. anywhere. Well, and it, it's, it gets back to this thing where it's like, okay, you could, you could replace... 90% of the fasteners that we used just with more skill at making those joints. Mm-hmm. More skill and more time. Yeah. Um, uh, but the situation that we were in, the you know, our level of skill making the, the, the timber framing joints, um, we used rebar and we used some timber locks. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that the joints got better and better as you got further down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um... But but it's it's and I also think that some of those you probably didn't need to add any kind of Definitely. screw or or pin, but it's like well let's just be sure mm-hmm. and and so it's like it doesn't take long to put a pin in here. Mm-hmm. So basically the rebar was cut into chunks to make pins that were like how how long were the pins? Uh, 13 to 16 inches. Depending on the need. Yeah, well, sometimes they would just go through two logs, and then other times, um, like, you know, when we're using the shoulder beams, um, we would actually cut a 16-incher, and then that would go through the rafter, the shoulder beam, and then into the post itself. Okay, Um, all right. So we would sometimes do that. All right. Um, Staples to help hold down some of the billboard material from time to time. Yeah, and we only we only stapled the ratty layer that was underneath the polyethylene. Yeah. We stapled the first layer, and then we didn't put any fasteners through the polyethylene or the top layer of billboard material. Except uh, where it would be covered up later by the facade. Right. We would you know, wrap it over yeah. around, around um, the top of the roof edge and then staple it underneath the roof. Okay. Um, in building the facade... I mean, this is this is probably going to end up being um, a huge part of the expense, and this is going to be the uh, we use two by twelves mm-hmm. and the facade, which we purchased, mm-hmm. and also wood screws to help hold the facade in place. Mm-hmm. And so the facade is made out of a lot of um, uh, mill ends, so like uh, you end up with something that's like uh, uh, eight to sixteen feet long. And it's got, um, it's kind of rounded on one side and flat on the other because, um, uh, the sawmill, you know, cut the rest of it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, Ron did a beautiful job. He set up a bunch of jigs and cranked out 
these uh, this beautiful edge for the berm shed out of these millens. So everything on the outside side looks uh, like round wood. Mm-hmm. And then everything facing the 2 by 10 is, of course, very flat. Mm-hmm. And then um, you would have a mill-in that looks like it's about um, 14 inches long. That's that. If you're standing and looking at the berm shed, you would see this mill-in that's placed vertically. And then there would be another mill-in attached to the top of that in such a way that the uh, membrane is not pierced except on the front of the facade. Mm -hmm. And then where it's pierced, the membrane is totally covered. Mm -hmm. You can't see any membrane anywhere. Um, which, you know, like like right now you go up to Cooper Cabin, you can see the membrane because we haven't finished Cooper Cabin yet. Um, uh, and for a while, that's the way it was um, at the berm shed until the facade was put in, put in place. Mm-hmm. So um, a fair number of wood screws went into the facade. Um, and, uh, and of course, the 2 by 12 That's it. That's all of the materials that were purchased. So roll of plastic, um, the rebar, some bailing wire, timberlock screws. We didn't even use that many timberlock screws. Right. Just in a few places where it's like, I just want to know. I just mm-hmm. need to know. Um, staples. Um, and those were used fairly sparingly, too. Even though it's like, wow, the difference between five cents of staples or ten cents in staples. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the wood screws for the facade and the 2x12s. Um, I think it's a good time to point out, like... What is the difference between a timber frame and post and beam? And um, I, at some point in time, I went and I looked it up because somebody said, oh, no, this is this is post and beam. This is not timber framing. And um, basically, uh, post and beam is where you're going to ha- um, uh, you're going to have uh, a post and you're going to put a beam on it. And there's going to be this giant piece of metal that. Uh, uh, it puts a, a layer of metal between the post and the beam, and it wraps down to the sides of the post, and it wraps up the sides of the beam. And then there's going to be a bunch of metal fasteners to fasten the metal to the wood. Mm-hmm. So modern trusses are a pretty good example. So you'll see like where they they kind of have this plate that's like a 6 by 8 plate that's full of like uh it's it's been punched in such a way that that it looks like mesh but um it's a bunch of uh what where the holes are in the mesh it's now like this uh, three-quarter-inch-long nail, and you just tack the whole thing in. So it's a plate of metal. So post and beam has this this plated metal all over the place, mm-hmm. kind of holding the posts to the beams, to the joists, to it, et cetera. There's this this metal joinery mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. That is, I I I want to state, I believe that is not what we're doing. At all, I imagine you'll agree. Oh yeah, the metal that we're using, we we did use metal, but it's merely to reinforce. Like the load bearing aspect is entirely born on the wood, and then the metal is just to hold it, you know, to keep it from moving. Right. So yeah, I I think that um, uh, this is definitely <clears throat> roundwood timber framing. This is not post and beam. Um. Okay, 
I've got a note here about the horizontal logs in the back. Um, I don't think there's much. I mean, there, we we could have done those logs in the back, the the retaining wall, effectively, mm-hmm. vertically, if if we wanted to. I suppose, like there are ways to do it vertically. In fact, I think there's some design enhancements that we could have done if we had more real estate that way. Mm-hmm. That would have been even cooler. Um, kind of like what we ended up doing in the attics, but mm-hmm. um, but we did it horizontally. And and there could have been a technique where we would would not have needed to use anything to pin those logs on um, if we'd have filled in with dirt at an appropriate time. But because of reasons, uh, that's not the way we went about doing it. I mean, having this tight space to work within made it hard to do something like that. Right. And, the, yeah, just the inability to access it with any of the earth-moving equipment. Um yeah, and then the um, the wood on the top. So like, I think a lot of people would have put wood on the top that would have been like flat. I mean, normally for a roof you're going to put down plywood, and we do not use plywood here um, because of all the glues in it, um, and it would have to be something that's purchased. Instead, we have tons of logs, and so we put a whole bunch of logs on the roof, and we put them in the direction such that um, the any water that lands on it would drip off to the back of the berm shed. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm trying to think of a way to describe in a podcast which way the logs are and which way they are not. So the roof poles um, are... Angled with the pitch of the roof. Angled with the pitch of the roof. Okay. Good way. Um, and they, uh, they'll they end up with a bunch of dirt on them and that the dirt at the back of the berm shed would be um, probably a foot to a foot and a half thick. And then in theory, they're supposed to stick out five feet, have a five-foot eave. Um, and uh, we'll get to that here in a moment. But uh, And then the dirt at the very edge near the facade would be only like two inches thick. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, it would be a lot lighter on that free-hanging eave, um, but as it turns out, the eave is only two and a half feet for most of the berm shed. But that one extra cell on the end, I believe it has a full five-foot eave. You don't remember. Okay. I, I, I saw it, and I was like, yes, we got one that's done the right size. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd never, you know, I never heard anything about it it's supposed to be being five feet, so I wish I would have known it would have been five feet. Um, okay, the end piece, which we were calling the attic design. Um, there are, so basically you, you get to a cell, and then it's kind of like this thing about how how are you going to make it so that you finish the end of the cell that's like the last cell the terminal cell the terminal cell so that the the plastic isn't exposed the billboard material is not exposed and yet the dirt is in place and um, it's not the dirt is not flowing into the um, the berm shed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so all of these kinds of things. How do we do that? And and um, now, 
Ron says he told me of his plan. And then, like a week later, Fred and I went up to Allerton Abbey to kind of talk about this one point on Allerton Abbey, and we we just literally sat down. And this is the thing that I, I said, the ingredient that we need is, is rather than just thinking of something on the fly, we need to sit down and talk about it, and let's budget an hour. And in the end, we only needed about 20 minutes, and we came up with this idea. And then uh, Ron said, what is your decision about what to do on the ends? And I shared this idea. And then Ron said, well, that's what I suggested to you, you know, before. Um, and so, okay, maybe this is Ron's idea. Maybe this is, and maybe Fred and I, uh, maybe I. I thought it was my design. Maybe what? I plagiarized <laughs> this. Oh, don't you get in on this too. <laughs> So maybe I've plagiarized this, and I cannot remember. Um, but all right, it's a it is a beautiful idea, and I I'm glad to let Ron have the credit on it. Um, uh, he deserves it. Yeah, he does. I I think he he developed a powerful passion for making the berm shed excellent. As he likes to say, I'm from Bermuda. <laughs> what does that? mean <laughs> <laughs> it's from Bermuda oh Berm oh that's ridiculous that's oh that's awful <laughs> okay let's try to describe what the, the attic design so basically there are two logs that come to the ground so there's there's the the last two posts in the ground. One is at the back of the berm shed, and one is towards the opening of the berm shed. So one's the berm side, and the other one's the facade side. And so the the side with the facade is a, a taller post, and and so the the back post has we what we did is we put a big fat log over there that went at a 45 degree angle up to the top of the berm shed at the back post. Mm -hmm. And then we did a very similar thing for the front post, only we made the angle shallower, which makes for a much longer post. So that means needs to be a much fatter post, much yeah. thicker log. I think the one that we ended up using was it was over a foot in diameter and 16 feet long. Okay, so um, big big logs mm -hmm. go right there, and then and then you just basically follow with the logs on the top. Um, yeah. To put roof poles on it. Just frame frame the roof from the top of the berm shed down to the ground at a compound angle that tilts back. So that way, if any water lands there, it will move away from the facade. At the same time, the framing wood is well protected from rain. Mm -hmm. And um, so in the end, I think that this design is very simple. Mm -hmm. uh, and easy to implement. Right. 
um, a lot of the other things we kept coming up with as possibilities, and I think we've been through seven different possible designs, were iffy and complicated. And what was there before was not working. It was it was not a great design. We had problems with it, and there was a lot of wood that was exposed that was getting that was rotting. And we were kind of thinking like, we were thinking, and we could still see some plastic, yeah. Yeah. And we were thinking like that wood is just sacrifice wood. It's just gonna it's just gonna rot. And we even thought about replacing it with like dry stack stone. Yeah. And um, because we have lots of rocks here, (laughs) boy, do we have rocks. Um, but I think that what we came up with here, well, let's say Ron, what Ron designed, I'm going to just let Ron have it, is brilliant in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. And um, I I kind of feel like uh, um, now that it's here, it just seems, so, now that we know it, it just seems so obvious. Yeah. It's like, why yeah, did... It looks so good, too. It does. It, yeah. it looks like... The earth just opened up a little bit. Put your stuff right, right. <laughs> Which is what I always kind of thought of as the Wafati design. It's like you've got this garden, and the idea is that you just lift the garden up and you you tuck in a little home. That's that's the Wafati design. And but but it does look like that with the berm shed. Like it just. And then when you're standing there looking at it, it it seems like some kind of amazing geometric art mm-hmm. and um but it, yet it's so so simple yeah. um all right now uh there's when when things warm up again we've got a little bit of earthworks to do around each of them still yeah i think that that is that is the only potential problem with how we've done the terminal cells um which is just that you know because because you're framing it down to the ground, um, and it is a compound angle, it's it's slightly steeper than the sand wants to just sit on there. And so you have to pile a bunch of dirt on top of it in order to have right. um, the you know the berm go all the way up from the ground to the to the roof. Right. And so now there's ways that's why we had to use such large diameter logs in framing the the attics the terminal cells um it's because they're they're bearing a much thicker layer of dirt on the roof so just to be clear we have 12 full cells and two terminal cells and the terminal cells each have a larger than 10 by 10 footprint but they also have a much lower roof line mm-hmm. that's sloping like like it would be in an attic, mm-hmm. which is why we call it the attic design yeah. um, I do think we we're gonna need to to do a little bit of earthworks around the on the back side of them yeah. on on both ends uh come spring yeah. and come spring of course we're gonna plant all the seeds and yeah. stuff on top. Um, and and I don't have that down as a discussion, but it'll be a lot of grasses, yeah. I think, to start off with. A lot of sepulcher grain. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I I think I think that it's going to work out great. But but of course, and and you've got it all on video. That's a that's an up and coming video. Right. 
You're just going to have to hold on to your hats because uh, this terminal cell video is going to be real cool. <laughs> got a bunch of drone footage of that build. and Yeah. I've got a video of Ron, you know, trying to figure out how to do it and rolling on the ground, crying and screaming, trying to figure really? it out. <laughs> yeah. I have a hard time seeing Ron do that. The drama. Oh, the drama. It's drama. The intrigue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, ideas for reducing materials cost, more free billboard material. I think that, you know, if we just did like five layers of the free stuff, maybe we could have dodged buying the um, polyethylene. I mean, really, even like three layers probably would have been fine. Yeah, probably. Um, but it's kind of that woven stuff, which kind of seems like... If, if water sticks around long enough, it might right. soak through. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be that rubberier stuff, just one layer of that would have replaced the three layers that we used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, better joinery. Yeah. Better joinery would have reduced the co- need for any of the, the metal attachy things, I right. think. Not for the facade, though. Right. I don't... I mean, maybe somebody will think of something for the facade. But I think that we could come up with a design for the facade that was still tight, still looked really good, but didn't use the 2x12s. I think it would just take time. Just take time to noodle on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, maybe maybe place one log across the top. But the other thing is, is that with our sawmill, we can make 2x12s. You're just going to have to, you know, take all your wood off the top, flip the log over, take all the wood off the new top, mm-hmm. and then what remains is maybe two inches thick and varying width, yeah. <laughs> which will then need to be shaped into something that's resembling a 2 by 12 So um, there's there's that, and then we're not buying it, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. Just better, smarter use of our existing tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the new design eliminates the shoulders, which would eliminate some of the pins. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, rather than using pins, we could have just used one-inch dowels right. for a lot of it. That I, would have I estimate that removing the shoulders from the design would eliminate a third of the pins. Okay. So instead of $68 in rebar, you know, that's... Whatever it is. Like $44? Sure. And then imagine instead of $44 of rebar, it's it's two-thirds of the pins that you would, the, the dowels that you would Yeah, the dowels. Make. And so, yeah, you saved $44. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. Great job. Uh, yeah. Sounds okay. better if you say you saved $68. <laughs> um, and then, uh, um, oh, we also came up with an idea for, like, the uh, roofing poles where instead of, like, uh, whatever we use to attach them now, we could have come up with, like, a small nail Mm -hmm. that we pounded in, and then we would clip off the head. And because we kind of came up with a little bit of a design where if it was a small nail and it just... Because, like, we came up with a design where it would probably be fine, Mm -hmm. But if we had, like, a, a little sharp metal tack 
stuck in the end of the pole, and then we shoved the metal tack into the log that is running on the back side. Mm-hmm. It would have held the pole in place, um, and then when all the dirt goes on the top then it, it would keep the pole from just scooching around a little bit. Right. And Instead of through spiking it to to the frame of the berm shed, you just put a little nail into the berm shed, cut the head off, and then pound the roof pole onto that nail that's sticking out. Yeah, and I think that would have used one-tenth of the metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that would have been a, a savings. Yeah. Um, definitely an experiment. And, yeah. and I think it's a good time to point out, like, uh, I think you, Josiah, have probably participated in 25 experiments at least in your time here. I mean, uh, and you've been here since the ATC. Uh, well, most of the time. I mean, you know, there were a couple of, uh, you went on a trip and, yeah. and stuff. But um, this is my fifth month. Your fifth month, okay. So in five months, you've participated in probably a couple of dozen experiments at least, mm-hmm. and I would say that it takes a certain mindset. A lot of people don't want to do experiments. They want to be taught the things that have been done before, and have been proven to work. And jokes on you. Nothing's like that. And I kind of feel like we do. Tons of experiments. We're constantly experimenting, and and uh, so many of our experiments are like you know the the word having a control is thrown out a lot, <laughs> and um, but try it and see, and we dream it up, and we um will will have lots of different theories that, and then we'll pick one or we might pick several. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for example, the berm shed or not the uh, Allerton Abbey floors. Mm-hmm. We have three experiments going on with those floors. I think it's just three, um, and uh, I don't know of any more than than three. But one is the oil, mm-hmm. just just uh, just oil and dirt. One of them, two of them are doing cob the way it's been done before by mm-hmm. many people the the embraced as the way to do cob right and then there's a um the fourth is where we're doing it without the plastic membrane in it like can we get away with pla- without using plastic mm-hmm. and um uh, and we'll see how it how it goes right um but and then we're also trying different techniques of burnishing those cob floors as well as potentially waxing them so it's another there's a there's a another experiment in there some more experiments um i i the thing is is it's like uh um well, of course, it ties into the name of the place, Wheaton Labs, which is supposed to be a play on Bill Nye, the science guy. He had Nye Laboratories. Oh, wow. I yeah. never knew that. Oh, surprise. Um, and uh, But I kind of feel like there are just tons of experiments that I want to do. And so um, it seems like we were in about the, the second or third month when we came up with that name. Um because it's it it is all about the experiments. We've got so many experiments to do, and that's another thing is um, uh, 
for the Permaculture Technology Jamboree, we're going to do the uh, passive solar garden heaters. Yeah. <laughs> I am. And we're going to do it at the lemon tree site mm-hmm. and see if it'll make the area so much warmer in the winter that the lemon tree will do great um, outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, And some people are like, oh, I grow a lemon tree in Montana. Yeah, in my greenhouse. And it's like, oh, this is without a greenhouse. So, um, but that's basically an experiment where we're going to put a piece of well casing into the ground 20 feet deep. And then we're going to mount something on the top of it, which will hopefully move passively solar heat down 20 feet. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and then make the area warmer through the winter. Um, so, uh, uh, and we're also gonna. That's also part of the Wafati greenhouse design mm-hmm. is to have those in it. Um, so experiment, experiment, experiment. See what happens. Try new things. And I've never heard. I've I've heard of people doing the twenty foot well casing thing for uh, uh, putting out an uh, an animal waterer. Mm-hmm. And so they'll have a stock tank that'll sit on top of a, uh, the well casing that's been buried. And then the water doesn't freeze. So it'll get to be 20 below outside, and the water is still liquid, and the animals are still able to drink from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, let's steal that idea and use it for all kinds of other things. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff we're working with is thermal inertia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and speaking of thermal inertia, the annualized thermal inertia, um, tests are going on right now, but they're just indicative tests. They're not the full test, which will be next year. Experiment, experiment, experiment. So many experiments. <clears throat> so, those smaller metal pins would be an experiment. I'm not sure how well it would do, but I think it's worth trying to see how it does. All right, um, Oh, uh, I, I talked about we we're going to come back to this. Uh, so during the new construction, uh, we had a wall failure. And um, so the idea was to be able to get the tractor in, to dump, to move dirt, to put on the roof. Mm-hmm. And so there was a thought of, like, let's remove the angle braces for just a couple of days to get the tractor in here. And then um, we'll rebuild the braces when we, you know, build the berm shed out that mm-hmm. far. And um, and then I think that there was a rain event, and and you were thinking like you know if it was it was small, and I was thinking like oh I think it was pretty serious, but we can't remember. The, I don't remember I was slaughtering a sheep. Yeah, the big thing is is, is that um, no one was working there that day, and when we came in, um, the wall that wall where the braces have been temporarily taken out had caved in, mm-hmm. and it's like uh, clearly hundreds of people would have died if they'd have been there. And then it's like, because uh, I'm kind of thinking like how this sounds in a podcast, right. but actually I think that how it probably went down was it kind of sloughed a little bit. In fact, I think that if there it were... It happened very slowly. I think that there were 100 people packed in there. I think um, the worst that would have happened is one person might have been mildly inconvenienced. <laughs> I don't think there was anything actually dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It would have happened slowly, mm-hmm. and at the same time, even if it didn't, even if it was instant, I still think one person may have been mildly like, "What? What is that? Don't touch me! What are you doing? Stop it!" That would have been the extent of it. Um, Let's hope. Yeah. Luckily, no one was underneath there. Well. <laughs> I mean, it was there was no roof there. Yeah. The roof had already been taken out. Mm-hmm. 
and um, and so all that was there was this wall with with these logs holding it up, and it, mm-hmm. the logs, the posts are in sand, and so um, it and it would it looked like it had gone slowly, but on top of that, I don't know if any of it actually got to the ground. The reason that it collapsed very slowly was that a lot of those retaining wall um, horizontal pieces. Uh, they spanned multiple posts. They weren't just one cell retaining yeah. retaining wall logs. It's, a lot of them were, you know, two and a half cells or three cells yeah. um, long. And so, even when the two, you know, the two posts that failed, one that slipped and one that snapped, um, the wall didn't fall all the way to the ground. Yeah. So, it came to like a 50 degree angle, you know. Right. So that's why I'm saying a person would have been inconvenienced. Yep. What are you doing? Go. You're invading my personal space. <laughs> that would have been the extent of it. Not not like, you know, getting squished or anything like that. It was so um uh so we're, you know, uh, we've. Some people say we want to hear about all the downsides, and I kind of wonder if it's like, oh, I want to hear all the downsides so I can go around and talk about how you guys are a bunch of dumb fucks. Um, but I kind of feel like we do very openly share all the downsides, and it's kind of like, uh, but I, I feel like at the same time, everything we've been doing has been extremely safe, right. and it's been not a big deal. Um, that was a risk that was taken, and we kind of talked about like if it does go. It'll it'll just lean in a lot. It won't because that's a, that's what it is. It, when we say it failed, it leaned in an inconvenient amount, <laughs> and so then we were like, nah, now we gotta just take it all out. Mm-hmm. And so actually, I think that that section of the wall failing um, made the rest of the build go faster because true. we were, because at that point, you know, we. Um, we all got together, whole boot camp, all hands on deck, and moved a whole bunch of dirt for a day and a half. And then after that, we had a clean slate. Yeah. Then and it that goes... was nice. That was so nice. And then it was a turbo build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this podcast is continued in part three. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.